We've got a first-time caller in from Hollywood, California. Tell us your story. Okay. Have you ever heard of the Wonderland murders? Yeah, like that made-up movie, Boogie Nights. (laughs) Wrong. Dead wrong. Warning. What you're about to hear is true. This call will delve deep into actual crimes, including murder, violence, kidnapping, mutilation, and sexual assault. Not suitable for children or the squeamish. Some will find this podcast disturbing and offensive. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Today on Hook Switch Hotline, The Wonderland Murders, also known as the Four on the Floor Murders, or the Laurel Canyon Murders, four unsolved murders that occurred in Los Angeles on July 1st, 1981. It's assumed that five people were targeted to be killed in the known drug house of the Wonderland Gang, three of whom, Ron Launius, William DeVerrill, and Joy Miller, were present. Launius, DeVerrill, and Miller, along with the girlfriend of an accomplice, Barbara Richardson, died from extensive blunt force trauma. Only Launius's wife, Susan, survived this attack allegedly masterminded by the organized crime figure and nightclub owner, Eddie Nash. Nash, his henchman Gregory Diles, and porn star John Holmes were at various times arrested, tried, and acquitted for their involvement in these murders. LAPD detectives are on record saying that the crime scene was bloodier and more gruesome than that of the Tate-LaBianca murders. The two major players here were porn star John Holmes and one of Los Angeles' biggest dope dealers, Eddie Nash. Eddie was a a big-time club owner who lived a big-time drug-doing life, just as you imagine. You know, girls in the house, um, lots of sex, lots of people coming and going. Um, You know, the Hollywood lifestyle of the drug era. John Holmes is a lot more familiar to all of us. He was born John Curtis Estes on August 8, 1944, in the small town of Asheville, a rural town in Ohio about 11 miles south of Columbus. He was the youngest of four children. He left home at age 15 and enlisted in the U.S. Army. He spent most of the three years of his military service in West Germany in the Signal Corps. He was honorably discharged in 1963 and moved to Los Angeles, California. By 1971, Holmes was already doing porn, and his career began to take off with an adult film series built around a private investigator character named Johnny Wad, written and directed by Bob Chin. The success of the film Johnny Wad created an immediate demand for follow-up, so Chin did follow up the same year with Flesh of the Lotus. Most of the subsequent Johnny Wad films were written and directed by Chin and produced by the LA-based company Freeway Films. With the success of Deep Throat in 1972 and Behind the Green Door, 1972, and then The Devil and Mrs. Jones in 1973, porn became chic, even though its legality was still hotly contested at that time. Holmes was arrested during this time for pimping and pandering, but he avoided prison time 
He avoided it by allegedly becoming an informant for the LA Police Department. Holmes's handler during that time was LAPD Vice Detective Thomas Blake. Blake said it was a pleasure working with him. By the late 1970s, Holmes was reportedly earning as much as $3,000 a day as a porn star. But by that time, his increasing use of cocaine and other drugs was becoming a serious problem. His thirst for drugs required a reliable and well-supplied big-time drug dealer. Enter Eddie Nash. Eddie Nash was the godfather of Hollywood. He was a Palestinian national who moved to L.A. in the 50s. And by the 60s, he had a hot dog stand on Hollywood Boulevard. But Nash wasn't satisfied with just a hot dog stand. Nash was born Abel Garib Nasrallah in British Palestine. His family were Orthodox Christian Palestinians from the city of Ramallah, just outside Jerusalem. Before the creation of Israel in 1948, Nash's family owned 48 hotels. He later told a friend he spent time in a refugee camp and fled the country after Israel Defense Forces soldiers gunned down his brother-in-law. Nash immigrated to the United States with only $7. He found work pretty quickly as an actor and a stuntman and was, by all accounts, an expert horseman. In 1952, he appeared in a small role as a character named Nash in an episode of the Western series The Cisco Kid. By the 1970s, Nash owned several nightclubs and restaurants in Los Angeles, including PJ's Club in West Hollywood, the Sold Out Club in Hollywood, the Odyssey Disco, and the Paradise Ballroom. He also owned the Seven Seas and Alibaba's, as well as the notorious strip club, the Kit Kat Club. Nash's clubs attracted diverse groups. As he operated clubs marketed towards gay people, heterosexuals, teenagers, African-Americans, and other target audiences. They were popular. All during this time, Nash was running his drug operation out of his own home at 3315 Donalola Place in Studio City, California, just north of the Hollywood Hills. This is depicted also in the Paul Thomas Anderson film Boogie Nights. One of Nash's regular customers was a longtime boyfriend of Las Vegas superstar Liberace. His name was Scott Torson. Uh, it was just incredible. I mean, it was just a rotating door that never stopped. People in and out of all hours of the night. Um, uh, probably 50, 70 different people, just in and out, in and out. Money, drugs, money, drugs, money, drugs, money, drugs. Heroin, cocaine, it was just an incredible scene. It was something like out of Scarface. Nash and Holmes were a match made in heaven because by this time, John Holmes was massively addicted to dope and needed a constant supply of it. And for Nash, Holmes brought a level of cachet because at this time, Holmes was, in fact, a bona fide celebrity. And I think Eddie Nash was a fan of John's. You know, John had cachet because he was the king of porn and famous, you know. And if you're a drug-dealing godfather of Hollywood nightclub life, you, you want a guy like John. However, Holmes was so heavily addicted that he was becoming increasingly unreliable, erratic, and untrustworthy. Although a seasoned drug dealer like Eddie Nash should have known better than to trust Holmes as a friend, Nash had soon given Holmes free run of his house. And Holmes would come and go as he pleased, 
at all hours of the day and night. Soon Holmes's body and mind were so wrecked by drug abuse he was no longer able to perform as a porn actor at all. And suddenly he can't maintain an erection because of his drug addiction. You're not going to have a career. I mean, that's why they're hiring. You know, you either can get it up or you can't. Work dried up, so did Holmes's finances. And quickly Holmes was deep in debt to Eddie Nash. This debt was another catalyst that would result in the Wonderland murders. By around 1980, Eddie Nash had become addicted to a form of cocaine use known as freebasing. I've uh, interviewed uh, numerous drug addicts. Many of them describe becoming addicted to uh, base cocaine or crack cocaine with the first hit or the first use. And then uh, the euphoria is never the same again thereafter. They're constantly chasing the first high that they ever obtained from that drug. Along with the more extreme highs came an increasing propensity for violence, increasing paranoia, and the desire to self-isolate. He'd never go to his clubs. The money was brought to him. The drugs were brought to him. He conducted everything out of his bedroom and the telephone. John Holmes was now into freebasing cocaine as well. And what better freebasing companion than Eddie Nash? John used to make her wait in the car. You know, he basically treated her like a dog. And he would go in and use freebase cocaine with Eddie Nash for day, literally days on end. He would come out and pretend to get something from the car and drop me a rock or two so, to keep me going while I was in the car. John carried around a briefcase with butane torches and cocaine and all his paraphernalia so he could freebase wherever he went. So, uh, you know, when you're doing that, you know, when you're, you have a little briefcase that you carry everywhere with you, with, with your freebase pipes, you know, you, you're in it pretty seriously. Now unable to perform in adult films, John was quickly blacklisted from the industry. But he needed money now more than ever. Holmes was so desperate for cash, he was soon prostituting himself to men, women, anyone who would pay, and selling Dawn for sex to Eddie Nash. He told me how much. And then after I was done, I'd come back and give him the money, and he'd beat the crap out of me. Afterwards, I'd come back, and he'd put me in the bathtub and just scrub me with boiling hot water, just scalding water, and uh, scrub me down. John was now also engaging in every kind of thievery that he could make up. That included stealing luggage from the carousels at Los Angeles International Airport, and it also included burglarizing old friends, like adult film actress Gloria Leonard. He was starting to steal big things from the house. Half of my heritage from my grandparents disappeared. And I took to hiding things in strange places, you know, um, like pockets and coats and that kind of thing, and darned if you wouldn't find them. Things were spiraling out of control quickly for John. Dawn had had enough and returned home to her family in the Pacific Northwest. Dawn finally realizes this is a bad, bad scene. And John's beating her up all the time. He, he's forcing her to have sex with people so they can get drugs. And she finally runs back home to, I believe it's somewhere in the Northwest. And she runs back to her mother. And she's finally away from John. Eddie Nash was now done with John Holmes as well and cut him off completely regarding credit for drugs. 
and that meant John had to find a new dope dealer. That's what led him to the occupants of a rented townhouse at 8763 Wonderland Avenue in the Laurel Canyon area of Los Angeles. The occupants of this townhouse, the Wonderland Gang, mainly trafficked in the burgeoning cocaine trade of the era. But despite its role as the most influential and feared cocaine distributorship of its time in Los Angeles, some of its members were heroin addicts as well. Let's begin with Joy Miller. Joy Miller was Billy DeVero's girlfriend and the leaseholder of the townhouse at 8763 Wonderland Avenue. Miller had two adult daughters and was the ex-wife of a Beverly Hills attorney. But Miller was also a heroin user who had fallen into the Wonderland gang through her self-immersion in this drug culture. By the time Holmes had become involved with the group, Miller had already been arrested seven times. Basically, the Joy Miller was this affluent woman who became a heroin addict and, you know, took the long slide down. Um, and she used her house on Wonderland Avenue to uh, basically uh, support this gang of heroin addicts. The house itself was a sort of green stucco with a staircase outside encased in wrought iron. There was an intercom out front and you had to be buzzed in. In this neighborhood, the houses sit very close to the street and the houses are narrow. The first floor is basically an open carport or garage without a door. Above that, is a full-width balcony, and this balcony came in handy because the residents of this townhouse would throw the drugs down from this balcony, and the customers on the street could throw the money right up. Another Wonderland gang member was David Lind, originally a resident of Sacramento. He came to Los Angeles in the summer of 1981 at the bequest of Ron Launius. He was coming to aid in the growing drug distribution business that they were setting up. Lind and Launius had become friends while they were in prison together and promised to deal drugs upon their release. Lind and his girlfriend Barbara Richardson rode down to the Wonderland house on Lind's motorcycle and slept on the living room sofa. Next in the Wonderland gang was Ron Launius. Ronald Lee Launius was a United States Air Force veteran from the Vietnam era. He'd been dishonorably discharged and convicted of smuggling heroin from Vietnam back to the United States in the corpses of American soldiers. Reportedly at the time of his death, police investigators throughout California, largely in the Sacramento area, had 27 open homicide cases they believed were perpetrated by Lanius. In May 1974, he was arrested for and charged with the 1973 murder of a reputed drug informant who'd been killed over a botched drug deal. After a key witness for the prosecution died in an unrelated police shootout, the murder charges against Lanius were dropped. That year, however, Lanius was convicted of smuggling heroin and cocaine across the U.S.-Mexico border and eventually served three years out of an eight-year prison sentence in a federal prison. A California police officer described the blonde-bearded Lanius as, quote, one of the coldest people I've ever met, end quote. Another officer commented upon hearing of Lanius's death, quote, I suppose they won't need many pallbearers, end quote. When asked to elaborate, the policeman explained, a trash can only has two handles. Next Wonderland gang member is Billy DeVerell. 
William Raymond Deverell was Lanius's right-hand man and a voice of reason. David Lynn characterized him as an otherwise decent individual who'd been lured into the drug world because of the easy money and indicated that Devero was experiencing periods of self-loathing for his actions, during which he desired to stop dealing illegal drugs. Devero was a professional crane operator who was also a heavy heroin user, unfortunately, and had been arrested 13 times in relation to that addiction, which is part of the reason why he stayed in this gang. Holmes quickly fell in with his new drug dealers, the Wonderland Gang. But these were hardened criminals who obtained much of their drug supply by ripping off other hardened drug dealers. And the Wonderland Gang were just not impressed with a fallen porn star. And they're basically think he's a joke and they're making fun of him. And they're, you know, making him whip out his penis, you know, as a, as a novelty. You know, they, they think this guy's a jerk, you know, but they keep him around you know, as this kind of pet. And basically the Wonderland Avenue gang were a bunch of dope house ripoffs. They would get police badges and go rip off drug dealers, and then they would sell the drugs. So that's what they were known for. It's now 1981, and John Holmes was about to attempt a comeback in adult films. But from the very first day of filming, the producers were made well aware that things were not going to go smoothly. We set a shoot up with about 25 crew members. He comes in late. He's a complete mess. We put him into makeup. He's franting and, you know, flipping out about everything that we wanted. He was totally incapable of, of, of working. But uh, the producer had, had spent about $3,000 to to secure this location. He was by the phone the whole time, waiting for a call. When the call came, uh, he says, I have to leave just for 15 minutes. I'll be back in 15 minutes. I've just got to go to a place near nearby. It's on Wonderland. Thank you for joining us on Hook Switch Hotline this week for the first of two episodes on The Wonderland Murders. Please subscribe and come back next week for its graphic conclusion. Here's a clip. And then I watched the Wonderland murders on the news and I thought, oh my gosh, because I knew the house. Holmes sold drugs for the four gang members found dead in their hideout. And I watched them pull the bodies out of the house on the news and he was sleeping in the bed and he was having this dream screaming about the blood. Don says he was there for the murders, telling her his drug dealer made him watch the revenge killings. every crime, someone somewhere has more information. That someone could be you. Call Hook Switch Hotline with your comment or contribution on an upcoming episode at 415-448-7263. Moved into the uh, a house with um, this woman who was uh, a, uh, a coke dealer. To put it nicely. Uh, the two of us uh, rented this place on Wonderland together, and uh, we moved in there, and I lived there for a couple of months, and these other characters showed up who were 
the least unreputable. And then eventually, through a series of uh, real brilliant moves, the people who were living in the house thought it would be a good idea if they ripped off this club owner uh, that had all this coke and heroin and money and all this stuff. The weak link in the pin here was uh, John Holmes, who was buying dope from them, friends with this guy up on the hill. And I, uh, they went and they ripped this guy up on the hill off, went back, and John Holmes then went back up to the guy on the hill, Eddie Nash, and told him that, uh, yeah, he was responsible. And Eddie Nash sent down his bodyguard, a bunch of other guys with a bunch of lead pipes, and they ended up bludgeoning to death everybody in the house. <laughs>